prepare for battle, right? So if we choose to not surrender completely and hold on to things that are important to us, and we choose to not give them to God, then we are actually creating idols in our life. Because we are saying that, God, you can have this part of me except this one thing. Here's the thing. It could be many things that that one thing is. But holding on to the one thing because you don't know if it is God's plan for your life, so you do all the work to try to make that one thing happen. It could be a career. Um, it could be going to school, choosing a school. It could be a person in your life that you're not willing to give up. It can be a bad, it can be a bad habit. It could be a secret sin. There are many things that we can create idols in our lives with. No matter what it is or how big it is, that doesn't matter because the one thing is now an idol in your life. If you don't completely surrender and give it all to God, you can't hold on to things. You have to give every part of you in complete surrender. Don't hold anything back. I can promise you that what God has in his plans for you is far better than anything that you could ever hope for or dream or desire. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love God have been called according to his purpose. We are called to stay in praise and worship. In Matthew 7, 24, it says, he who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. 25 goes on to say, though the rain comes in torrents, and the floodgates rise, and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on a bedrock. We have to build our house on the only rock that can save us, Jesus, his teachings, which is the word of God, the Bible. We have to follow God's word to get through storms, disappointments in our lives, we also need to know who we are in Christ and how every evil has to bow to the name of Jesus. We have to know how to fight the enemy. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 6, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit 
who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. Grace is two, is, there's a two parts of grace. You have grace that he forgives us when we don't deserve it. But grace also empowers us to not sin. When you believe faith and decide in your heart that Jesus is the Lord of your life, you chose to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. Without works, which are actions, faith is dead. So when you believed, which was your faith, and decided in your heart that Jesus Christ of your life was your life, and you chose, chose, which is your action, you denied yourself, you picked up your cross, and you followed him. You were united with Christ, meaning he was given, he has given us the power and authority that he had to do his work on this earth. Mark 16, 15 through 16, Jesus said, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. We are to proclaim the gospel to everyone. As we are doing God's work, his plan for our lives, Satan will try to tempt us. After Jesus was baptized in the Jordan by John and the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and this is my son and I am well pleased, God said, Satan tempted Jesus. Don't you think Satan will do the same if you follow Jesus? Satan tried to twist the word of God. He still does. Satan lied. He still does. Satan deceived. He still does. Satan is a liar, a deceiver, works off fear. He creates fear. He's sneaky never tells you the truth. Which is why we need to test everything and not believe blindly. We need to be armed and dangerous, making sure we always have the full armor of God on. Ephesians 6.13 Therefore, on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up your shield of faith 
to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. We have to stand in faith to destroy the fiery darts of the devil. David said in Psalms 144.1, Praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. In Psalms 18.33-34, He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. David was saying that the Lord was teaching him offense so he could destroy anything in front of him that opposed his walk with God and his purpose and destiny. Offense means to be spiritually aggressive and consistent in opposing the fiery darts of the enemy without hesitation, without losing ground in your faith, and then pushing forward. Meaning, believing and speaking that you have already won the fight. We have to stay in faith. We have to stay in praise. We have to stay in prayer Stay in worship, stay in joy, and stay in his presence. And stay in thanksgiving. All the time, but more so when we are being attacked by the enemy. We have a choice. I can tell you from personal experience, it makes a huge difference. See, Dakota, our youngest, has had multiple health issues and she's growing up. She's had three kidney surgeries. She had a birth defect when she was born that they should have caught in utero, but they didn't. So during one of those surgeries, she contracted MRSA internally, which was an ongoing battle to control. So she then started to have severe stomach pains Doctor wrote it off, and she just wanted attention because she was so used to it from all the surgeries before and always having our attention, even though she was literally laying in my bed screaming and crying. I was like, there's no more attention I can give her. She had test after test, and she was miserable. Ted and I decided to stop all the testing. It was making her miserable, the doctors were clueless, and we couldn't watch her suffer anymore, and the same t- they would keep doing the same test after the same test after the same test. Every test, she had to stay in the hospital because she does not do well with anesthesia. Um, one day I was praying, and I was asking. I was letting God in to the situation. I was driving over the bridge, the Washington Bridge, on the way, and he said... I heard him say gluten. Literally called Chad, and I said, um, 
yeah, I think we need to take her off gluten. There wasn't, most people didn't know anything about that back then when she was diagnosed, when we self-diagnosed her or God diagnosed her. <laughs> the doctors never told us to take her off gluten. God told us to. She was a different girl after that. You would think I would have learned to ask God in from then on. But I didn't. Dakota became very ill again, and no one could tell us what was going on. She went through a series of tests and multiple stays in the hospital. She hadn't grown for two years. She didn't gain weight for two years. Eventually, the doctors came back that she had a rare disease called chronic Epstein-Barr virus. They basically told us she had seven years to live. Instead of going to God, I completely shut down. We stopped going to church because my entire focus became on her and trying to keep her well. We were in and out of children's hospital because she would just become lethargic. And she'd have to go there, and they'd have to give her fluids and help her. We were drowning in debt from every medical bill. Because not only do we have all this going on, but at the same time, Madison, she had tonsils out and her adenoids out. And then on top of that, Chad had a kidney stone that had to be removed. And then from all the stress, I started having heart issues. But that was, so some of her surgeries and tests had to be paid out of pocket before they would, they would let us. So we had to put groceries on credit cards. We racked up a lot of credit card debt. We ended up getting credit cards to buy groceries so then she could have what she needed. I remember feeling so lost. I remember how I believed in God and I prayed for her healing, but I didn't immerse myself in him. I immersed myself in the circumstance that was in front of me. I would research everything and try anything and everything to help her. I tried to control it, when in reality, I had no control. In the end, it ended up consuming me with fear. It took a while, but we finally were able to see a specialist, and that specialist said that she was fine. So, we believe God healed her. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, I look at how I handled when I was sick. No matter what people saw, I never thought or feared. I was in so much peace. The difference was I prayed and worshiped through it. I praised God. I didn't matter how sick I looked. I dropped 30 pounds. Getting up to go to the bathroom was a chore. I would pass out with all the pain. There were times my oldest daughter carried me. But I never had fear. I knew I was going to be okay. I did see the fear in my children's eyes, but I kept reassuring them I was okay, and God had me. The difference in these two is the first one with Dakota. I allowed the enemy to fill me with so much fear. I didn't immerse myself in God. 
I prayed, but not consistently. When I became sick, I didn't allow the enemy to fill me with fear, and I completely immersed myself in God. I would worship and praise him, and I did a lot of reading, and I actually grew so much in the word <laughs> because I read it all the time. So when we pray, we are inviting God in. God is a gentleman. He is not going to invade your life. You are going to have to let him in. In Revelation 3.20, it says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that, that person and they with me. Sometimes we want God to push his way in and bust down the doors and say, I am the Holy One and I am here to clean and change everything in your life. But God doesn't really work that way. He gently knocks and says, hey, it's me. Was wondering if I could come in and clean some stuff up and to help you. Problem is, most of the time, people tell him that they're too busy with other stuff. We end up pushing him away instead of asking him to prune us, to correct us, to guide us, to change us, and to be more like him. Revelation 3.19 says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be earnest and repent. God is standing at the door of your life every day, and he is knocking over and over. When we pray, we invite him in. So when you pray about your family, your school, which college to go to, or a relationship, you are inviting him in. But if you don't pray and don't seek his wisdom, we are doing it without him. The school that everyone is going to or the boy or girl that likes you may not be the best for you. So if you do not pray and seek, you might not be getting God's best for you. Sometimes what we like or want to do is not what God intended. Sure, we can do what we want and tell God this is my wants and my desires, but in the end, you are asking God to go along with your plans, not praying and seeking his plans, which is a huge difference. Psalms 100, 1 through 5 Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Now know the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. God loves you so much. He just wants you to let him in. 
No matter what David went through, he returned to the Father with praise and thanksgiving. No matter what we go through, we need to praise the Father and give thanksgiving to the Father. We must put ourselves in goodness and faithfulness of God. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's one of my favorite verses. Praise and worship softens your heart. So you can hear from God, and prayer opens the door to let him work in your life. No matter what is going on in our lives, we need to praise and worship the Lord and be in constant relationship with him. Now, more than ever, we have to pray and seek his wisdom on all matters in our lives. Or, if we don't, we will most likely end up pursuing something that God never intended for us to pursue. Complete surrender is the key. Surrendering every part of you, not just parts that you are okay with him having. So if God loves you so much, why would you not want to completely surrender every part of you? Let him in in every part of your life, and I promise he only has good things for you. So we are to glorify God with our worship and our praise and our obedience. And that's what the Lord has for me. Okay, we can do our time offerings.